This is the Drive-In Podcast. Take one. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to episode 135 of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have a review of David Leach's new film, Bullet Train, along with our top billing draft of the greatest Brad Pitt roles. So use the bathroom now, grab that popcorn, and enjoy episode 135 of the Drive-In Podcast. Howdy duty! Welcome to episode 135 of TDI. This is Dr. O on the horn, coming off a strong 27th birthday. I'm joined by the one and only, my co-host, my best friend, and my Brad Pitt aficionado, Ricky Flicks. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, and I was going to say happy birthday to the doctor himself, Dr. O. And do you share a birthday with Robert De Niro? So, Ricky, I was going to hold this until you sent it back over to me just by the fact that you always brag about having a birthday with Christopher Nolan. And I was pleasantly surprised when I looked on my timeline right when I woke up, looked to find those birthday wishes on social media. But I found out most of them were being directed towards the one and only Robert De Niro, who was celebrating his 79th birthday. Honestly, younger than I expected. Didn't you think De Niro was in his 80s? He's been around for a while. Uh, he he has his swings. Like he looks good, and then some days he looks old. To be nice about it, so he's the man's working. He he's working a lot. He's just got announced in a Baron Levinson project, uh, literally yesterday or two yeah. days ago, the day of the checkup. So, and he's starring in it in two separate roles. <laughs> so it's like. Yes, he is about to turn 80 next year, but then again, he's working almost as much as he did in the 70s. Yeah, so you brought up this new film that he is doing with Barry Levinson. It's going to be titled The Wise Guys. He's going to be playing two Italian, Italian-American crime bosses, because who does it better than Robert De Niro, who run their respective families in the 20th century. I wonder if I hope he doesn't get de-aged at all. We saw how that can be kind of a <laughs> catastrophe of sorts when you look at the Irishman. But when he was in Joker, bro, he looked old, old, old in Joker. It made me think like, wow, like maybe he's done. But the fact that he's going to be in a, a starring role, two different roles for a Barry Levinson project, that's good for the fact that the show goes on, right? The tank keeps on rolling with one Robert De Niro. But – did he look that old to you in Joker? Yeah, he did. <laughs> he I don't know, so man. I thought they did a decent job making him look 70. Because the year of Joker is the same year as the Irishman. And they came out similar. Yes, and they came out uh, within months. And I think the fact that he was being de-aged in the Irishman, mm. whenever you're being de-aged, you just assume the person is 100 years old. Yeah, and just when you look. So I have similar not I have like similar comments to She-Hulk. Uh yes, I did watch episode one. I have similar comments with the CGI visual effects there. Whereas when you're looking at the de-aging technology and then you see him in Joker, 
you automatically think he's older because they had to do it, like you said. And mm-hmm. also, like he does look younger there in the CGI, even though it's bad CGI. So then when you compare him to the older De Niro, it's like like normal De Niro that looks a little younger. It's like, oh, he looks a thousand years old, but he doesn't really. Because if you take away that CGI effect, he looks actually younger than 79. You're breaking my brain right now. But what I think of is like Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One, how fake he, he looked, but also looked like the de-aging of one Robert De Niro in The Irishman. And like Grand Moff Tarkin, I'm like, wow, he's dead. Like, <laughs> like he looks similar to like a de-aged De Niro like imagine if like someone did that with like a De Niro character, like an old school, like Corleone, right? Uh, what Don Corleone, like say somehow had to create yeah, another for- film in that franchise or whatever. Like they would just de-age De Niro and he would look like he is in The Irishman, a la Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One. That, I don't think that was terrible, but it was like obviously CGI, but I don't think it was terrible. I don't there think it's aged some- that well. It hasn't aged very well, in my opinion. Definitely not. Like nothing, no CGI has aged very well. And we'll talk about it on um, the Brad Pitt draft, I think. Um, I yeah. don't think any CGI has lasted well from the 2000s. And before we get to Bullet Train and we get to like CGI, I think you're hinting at a potential pick in our draft here of the best Brad Pitt roles. I also watched She-Hulk this morning. I just want to get your initial reactions, Ricky Flex, then I'll give mine. Did you dig it? Did you th- was it something you're interested in? Are you highly anticipating the second episode? Tell me about it. So I'm glad that you watched it because I was nervous that you didn't. We're recording this at noon on a Thursday. Who do you so- think I am? Die. Who do you think you are? I, but, but regarding She-Hulk, so you see a lot of reviews coming out on Twitter that about these critics that have seen the first four episodes, and there's a lot of reports from these people that are saying that the next three aren't like this one, and I'm interested to see because they're saying that this one clearly was focused on the Bruce Banner and. Uh, uh, jennifer walters characters like chemistry her origin story but supposedly the next three are going to be more in the courtroom and out and about um and that makes sense of course i actually didn't think this was terrible i thought this was like pretty good chemistry between bruce and jennifer walters here i thought that a lot of the themes were just not subtle they were very like straightforward at you which i didn't like um i understand mcu is kind of behind in like the uh female superhero empowerment stage dc kind of had the leg up on them and now they're like going into hyperdrive on the marvel side but there's just a way to go about it that's not so subtle and they're clearly just don't care because it's a comedy and they think they can incorporate it some way so far in one episode definitely has not um and regarding the cgi i think the hulk cgi is still great like the smart hulk yeah, but then it's just like when you compare the Smart Hulk like on the same exact screen, you see them both together, and the She Hulk, although it's better than the original trailer where everyone absolutely destroyed that CGI from the trailer, it has improved from that. But just when you put that next to Smart Hulk, I think it's just like apparent how poorly done it is compared to that. Am I wrong thinking that? I I, I couldn't agree more. When I look at Mark Ruffalo playing the Hulk, I can I, it almost looks like Mark Ruffalo was wearing makeup. Like I think it's a really good job. It's like they carried it over. I think they did a really good job in Endgame as well, and like they made they may have even improved it. Like since then, uh, I agree with Tatiana Maslany's character with Jennifer Walters does not look as bad as it did 
in the initial trailers. Maybe it's because they had to put something out. They had to give the fans a little juice, and then they release it a little bit early, knowing that this is a common thing in most Marvel trailers, that the CGI isn't perfected when the first trailer comes out. So I'm glad that they worked hard on it, although it seems like the VFX doesn't have, like those companies in the production of like those uh, in, in film, a VFX does not have a strong relationship with Marvel right now. It seems like it's a little bit fractured. So we'll see how that relationship kind of impacts future MCU projects and if it like kind of hampers them a little bit. Um, but I digged it as well. I thought it was good. I, I think I'm a little nervous because you're saying like the next few episodes are going to be completely different from the first one. This one's strong focus on the relationship between the Hulk and She-Hulk. Uh, like, I hope that Mark Ruffalo is in more of this show and has a regular appearance, like, once every other episode, like, is, sh is showing up, just because I love hearing the tidbits of his character, the parts that we missed as audiences. Like, what, is, what did Hulk do following Thor Ragnarok? Where has he been? Then they dive into, like, references to his relationship with Tony Stark, his relationships, like, hilariously with Chris Evans as Captain America, and then even, like, like Sasha, Ro I mean, uh, Natasha Romanoff, not Sasha. But I just love hearing those tidbits because the Hulk's been done a little bit of a disservice in the MCU and uh, such an iconic comic book character like within this Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't think has gotten his due. So the fact that we're getting at least something with this TV series, I'm happy with, but also felt like, man, I wish I saw some of this. I saw some of his journey because it feels like he's been reduced to like, okay, let's like add something here, although he's not the lead in this movie. How can we grow the whole character, but not to a point where you can fully flesh it out, you know? Yeah, I, and that's, you. You when you said references, I thought that this episode definitely relied on the references a lot to the outside mm -hmm. mcu and a lot of these disney plus shows they're trying to say you don't need to watch them but they it clearly is just continues the theme where you just wouldn't get it if you if you're just like watching these shows separately and you didn't watch phase four or phase three um but again like i kind of dug it because we haven't seen it like from the hulk we needed that like that we want to hear that stuff from the hulk because we just haven't had a Hulk movie since Edward Norton. We haven't had a Mark Ruffalo movie. So I'm fine with it. Um, I guess for me, like I did like find it amusing, but I didn't like laugh really. I just like kind of just like did like a, a grin, you know, like quick chuckle. <laughs> not yeah. even like, but I understand like some people might not find <laughs> it as cringy as me. So I'm not as like, oh, this show is so cringe uh, regarding the comedy. I think it probably will get better. Um, it's just that the chemistry, I'm just nervous, as you said, like Bruce Banner for sure is coming back uh, in this season, but I think he's just going to be like uh, going on like he, he's in an episode here and there going forward, which I'm kind of bummed out about. But I don't know, man, I, I kind of expect him to have more of a more of involvement, like more involvement in this like show as it goes on, basically because it's now going to be the fact that at the end of this episode, you see the courtroom scene, which I didn't love, to be honest. Looked, uh, yeah, yeah. Just because I didn't like good. I didn't like the villain that was introduced, I like didn't really do it for me. Uh, I thought like the music actually worked at the end when like she's becoming she's turning from She Hulk back to Jennifer Walters and wants to continue like her closing statements and things like that. But um, I like I think they this one really hammered home like she's gonna have to learn to become a superhero as much as she doesn't want to. She cut short like her lessons from Bruce Banner's. It makes me think he might be coming to the city. All right, to come and work with her more. And although he might not be like even the second lead in the show, 
I think he's going to have continued involvement. And we know that Daredevil's going to be a part of this series, Abomination's a part of this series, and God knows what else. So I think it's, I guess, the likelihood of him showing up continuously is, I guess, less than 50%. But I'm just thinking, gut feel, we're going to get more of him in this show just because he provides that connection to the old school MCU that people love. And then obviously this phase four has kind of like fallen by the wayside a little bit. People have lost their strong connection to the MCU. This this episode kind of like fixed that a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I agree with everything you said. And I think he definitely will come back in a crucial part of the show, just to be clear, because based on what we saw here in the hints, like with the Sakaar spaceship and how Hulk, Bruce Banner says like, oh, they're probably here to deliver a message. Oh, and he'll he's, I, I gotta work on that. that. He's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And his arm is healed now, right? So he's back to his strength. And I just think that, yeah, they're definitely gonna show up again at some point here in this season of She-Hulk. It's just that how does Daredevil, not Matt Murdock, but Daredevil incorporate into this show? That's what I'm interested to see because I think that's what we kind of will see from Hulk, also included with the continued training. But Daredevil, it's like, all right, Matt Murdock, lawyer, makes sense around New York, Hell's Kitchen. But how does Daredevil come into play? That's what I don't know. Because Sakaar, like alien spaceship, like Daredevil doesn't deal with that. He's more like a Spider-Man. So that's what I'm kind of confused about. My prediction is that they're going to face off in the courtroom. And he's going to like, and a lot of times Daredevil uses like his persona, like Matt Murdock uses the Daredevil persona to like gain more information about the cases that he's on. So maybe he has to go and talk with She-Hulk, but not as Matt Murdock, but as Daredevil to get the info he needs. Or maybe they're trying to collaborate. They're going to try to collaborate on a case. Who knows? But I think it's the courtroom aspect. I can see that being connected like an obvious one. Um, I thought uh, Tatiana Maslany, I know we talked a lot about Hulk and Mark Ruffalo, how we, we like him. We want to see more of him just because we felt like there's been a disservice to Hulk. But I do like Tatiana Maslany in this role. Uh, the fourth wall, it's trying to be Deadpool so hard. Uh, I'm trying to be yeah. like a PG Deadpool. I did cringe uh, at that. A little bit. Like I wasn't – the maybe like the first moment, like the first time she does it, I cringe. Other moments, I find myself chuckling like you did a little bit or like kind of just like smirking and saying, oh, I see what they're trying to do here. But uh, I think she is great chemistry with Mark Ruffalo. I did enjoy all those scenes, although the pacing of the show kind of was like a little messed up, really slow in the middle A lot of part. information thrown at you. Right. But that was the juicy part, I guess, was like that relationship with Hulk and we get to see Hulk. But uh, I think she's funny. I think she's charismatic. And I think I have a crush on her. Not going to lie. Like her as a regular Jennifer Walters and as She-Hulk. I think she's just got it going on. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen Orphan Black. Um, I guess that's the show that kind of like got her her stardom. And I, I know she was in Parks and Rec for a little bit, but I don't remember her at all, to be honest. Um, but yeah, like I think she's good. I just want to see more of her, I guess. And going forward, since I'm not too acquainted with her. Um, but yeah, so far, so good. Yeah, so we'll get to more episodes of She-Hulk as they uh, release, I believe, was it every every Wednesday or Thursday? It's every Thursday? Thursday. So we'll watch them on Thursday. We'll record on Thursday, have a little uh, recap on Friday. Same thing we do with most Marvel shows, aside from Miss Marvel, for I guess for obvious reasons. If you've listened to this podcast before, what are we going to say, Ricky Flicks? And we have another show coming up that we'll be reviewing every week. House of the Dragon debuting this weekend, this Sunday. Buckle up. We will be recapping those as well. Cannot wait. Hopefully they have some references to the original ones because you know that we haven't read the books. 
All right. With that being said, let's get to Bullet Train. We got a packed episode, Bullet Train review, along with Brad Pitt Rolls Draft. We're going to give you the Rotten Tomato score, the audience score, and the IMDb. We'll also throw in the synopsis because we're nice guys. Let's get to it. Rotten Tomatoes currently has Bullet Train at 53%. Critic score, the 76% audience score. IMDb, it's hitting a 7.5 out of 10. Synopsis reads, in Bullet Train, Brad Pitt stars as Ladybug, an unlucky assassin determined to do do his job peacefully after one too many gigs gone off the rails. Fate, however, may have other plans as Ladybug's latest mission pulls him on a collision course with lethal adversaries from around the globe, all with connected yet conflicting objectives on the world's fastest train. From the director of Deadpool, David Leach, the end of the line is only the beginning of a wild nonstop thrill ride through modern day Japan. So, Ricky Flex, when we started this podcast, that's when news about this movie was uh, leaping forward. We got Brad Pitt at the time this was announced. This was the first project that he signed on after winning the Oscar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He decided to get right back into filmmaking, and he's going a little change of pace here. We got like an action comedy, fast-paced, with a David Leach, director of Deadpool 2. What were your expectations going in? We know the cast was going to be massive, right? Did it live up to those expectations? Enlighten us. So before the trailer, I was my expectations were sky high. Brad Pitt coming off of an Oscar, right? Not in his prime per se, but still like doing his thing, like an actor, all reliable, always going to be great. And I think he was good in this as well. Um, And then David Leach, high director right now, high, like maybe, or one of the most sought after by studios, like action directors there is, former stunt coordinator, uh, former screen double for Brad Pitt, let alone Mm -hmm. Jean-Claude Van Damme. So obviously there's a relationship there with Brad Pitt. And obviously this guy knows his stunts with Jean-Claude Van Damme co-director on john wick so i'm like thinking all right we got john wick 2.0 with brad pitt and david leach also deadpool 2 director i'm thinking okay holy crap we're coming something real like special here and then the trailer comes out okay i like the trailer but definitely had more deadpool 2 vibes than john wick vibes okay and i'm not saying this was trying to be deadpool 2 what i'm trying to say is it was clear from that trailer that it wanted that fast-paced uh, comedy and action combination, right? Similar to a Deadpool 2, but not the same, of course. No fourth roll break or anything. And I just don't think it hit as well as it wanted. It, th- it thinks it did. Mm-hmm. Now, I agree. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I think just one quick thing is that, yes, I did like the fast pace. There were a lot of parts where I was laughing out loud, but I do just think there was a lot of stuff going on, overstuffed. Um, the Brad Pitt, I think he was good, and I think all almost everyone here was good. I just don't think anyone was like particularly great. Maybe one person, and I'll leave that to uh, later. And I think overall, though, in a movie theater, I had a lot of I, – like, I think this is the quintessential movie theater movie. I agree, and I just want to like dive into my expectations going into this movie because when I heard this was first happening, it's like the title is Bullet Train. So it's like I'm thinking, okay, action movie on a train, David Leach, it's going to be a lot of violence and gore. I did not expect as much of the Deadpool 2 tone as we got from Bullet Train. I When I see the cast of like Michael Shannon and Brad Pitt, Right with Zazie Beats. I'm not thinking comedy. Um, I was thinking like this was gonna be like you said, that John Wick tone. All right. And it's gonna be very like like it's gonna focus on the stunts that are being done, the hand-to-hand combat. 
that's not necessarily what we got here. Uh, it really did focus on the comedy a lot, the chemistry between the characters. Uh, it, in terms of Deadpool 2 also, it's very much like like pop culture references. It's got the cameos in there. To me, it was it just felt like it was in the world of Deadpool 2, to be honest. Uh, it really did. So personally, I liked it too. I thought this was pure entertainment. It wasn't worried about sending a message outside that of these assassins are trying to kill each other. There wasn't something deep behind this movie. Just eat your popcorn. You're going to get to the bottom of the barrel, right, before you know it. And you're just going to have a fun time with this movie. Does it have its flaws? Absolutely, right? Should it have, a, like, a overarching message? Maybe. But, like, we're watching a movie called Bullet Train. Like, what do you think, what do you expect to get out of this movie? So I had a fun time with it. I enjoyed the cast here. Uh, other, other. Other um the way they handled some of the cast members, I didn't necessarily enjoy. But let's get a little deeper, Ricky Flicks. Let's talk about the cast. We got massive names here. Along with Brad Pitt, I mentioned Michael Shannon's in this movie, Sandra Bullock's in this movie, Brian Tyree Henry, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Joey King, the names go on and on. So you mentioned that you liked some of the cast members here. Who's who stood out in your opinion? The one person that stood out more than anyone, not just by looks. That would be Brad Pitt, of course. But then the person I thought the best performance in this movie, Aaron Taylor Johnson. I thought he was amazing. Similar to like a Jake, a Jake Gyllenhaal in Ambulance. He knew his role. He knew what to do. But he like, executed so well. I, from the trailer, I did not expect a good performance at all. I wasn't saying he was bad in the trailer. But I don't know, like that scene where in the trailer where it's him and Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt's like sipping on the, uh, the seltzer water and chucks it at him. I was like, oh, no, is Aaron Taylor Johnson like just going to give like an average? Like, I thought he killed it. I thought the chemistry between him and Brian Tyree Henry were, was really good. And I just think overall, even when he was alone, he was like the best assassin when he's alone acting wise. I was so impressed by him as Tangerine. I my favorite aspect of the movie was the chemistry between Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry. I thought they were the funniest parts of the movie. I would say Brian Tyree Henry was the funniest character in this entire thing. I agree. There, there were some moments with Brian Tyree Henry's character. It wasn't his fault, but like the script writing, the references to like Thomas, the tank engine, like mm. continuously that was getting on my nerves a little bit, but mm -hmm. like the lemon and tangerine aspect to me, that those were the moments I found my, I found myself saying, let's get back to this character. Joey King's character. I didn't necessarily enjoy a little cringy. And I would say, I'm not afraid to say tad bit annoying. Just bring me back to Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Uh, think about the other members of the supporting cast here. Um, uh, Bad bunny. No, Bad Bunny had yeah. one line and it was in Spanish. The flashback was like okay, but also like kind of like what the um the flash no uh, that like, that montage wasn't bad. Like I, I didn't mind that, yeah. but you're right, he doesn't say a thing. And this is the guy yes. who's gonna be in the lead of a Sony like Spider-Man movie, right? He's gonna play <laughs> El Muerto as like a wrestler turned superhero, right. but this doesn't give me confidence going into that movie. This is like, yeah, he got he has like some on-screen experience now but not to the point where i'm impressed like obviously he's a good-looking dude he's loved by audiences it almost feels like his transition was almost like a professional wrestler that comes to a movie for the first time it's almost like a like dave bautista appearance in uh specter that's what it almost felt mm. like where it's just yeah. like a quick yeah. like action sequence he has a line or two but it's like oh my god look it's bad bunny yeah it's like so I didn't see Narcos Mexico, but I guess that's what people call to with Bad Bunny. Um, oh, is in that? It. I had no idea. 
Yeah, yeah. That, I, I think he's in. I don't know if he has a prominent role or just small, but I think that's what people point to as like acting experience. Why he got the uh, that Spider-Man gig, the Sony Spider-Man gig to be specific. So I think that's what people call to. But yeah, it's kind of disappointing. Most of the movie, he's asleep, uh, so to speak. No spoilers. Yeah, uh, and then honestly, I had a little beef with how they use some big names here. Uh, Logan Lerman shows up. So first of all, it's a spoiler. Uh, review so i'm gonna like say some things about this movie that will spoil it so hopefully you've seen it but uh if not just skip to the brad pitt rolls draft the timestamp will be in the episode logan lerman he's he's a very popular name with young audiences like percy jackson series like was huge for like people a little bit younger than us he was in i think the running to play spider-man when tom holland was people just adore logan lerman and the fact that he really he has one scene in this movie and then he's dead for like the last I would say hour and a half of it I found that a little bit shocking like very underutilized and then to go along with that like Karen Fukuhara who's uh, in the boys who what's her name in the boys what am I thinking of I'm sorry who is this Karen Fukuhara from the boys oh yeah I was Frenchie, Frenchie's girl what's her name who was the in boys? this movie yeah what's uh, what's her name uh, <laughs> Oh no! I would have known. How are we choking on this? Or we cannot proceed until we get this Frenchie's girl, Kimiko. There it is, Kimiko. Kimiko, like, like she, she didn't even have a line. Like, and I feel like based on her action experience from the boys, she would have brought something to the table here. Just she would have been great. And then Zazie Beats is in the trailer for this, but shows up in a scene and a half maybe just seems like you have this huge cast but it was almost too big we talked about ensemble problems in hollywood it's just audiences get excited when you see someone from the most popular tv show right superhero tv show going with the boys has no lines doesn't do any action sequences logan lerman right great for young audiences dies in the first like 20 minutes that you see him and then zazie beats who just signed on for joker too and is domino you know it's, just to me that's weird yeah, and it goes back to the overstuffed comment I had. Bad right? Bunny, too. Yeah. Yeah, Bad Bunny, of course. Um, I think Kimiko would have been great as an assassin in this, a prominent role yeah. in this. And especially in a in a, like around the Japanese culture, having a Japanese assassin, I think, would kind of complement the story here rather than just having Japanese conductors. By the way, shout out to Masioka, Hawaii 5 Max, the conductor on this. Shout out Hawaii 5 But um <laughs> Another cameo. But uh, yeah, completely agree. Logan Lerman, I get him and Dylan O'Brien confused all the time by looks. Um, star of Perks of Being a Wallflower. Like that is right. huge role back 10 years. That's been 10 years. And wow. he's like, what has he been doing? Like, it's shocking. It seems like, like he was always going for the same roles, as you said, Dylan O'Brien or like Tom Holland. They're all going for the same roles, but he just like was always last on that list. Like he's always the guy just missing right. the cut, you know? And he just never... Did much after Percy Jackson. People are just obsessed with that, and obviously Perks would be a wallflower. And I think this just goes back to what I said—the overstuffed comment. And I think even before that, when before this was a David Leach project, Antoine Fuqua had the rights to this. He's a producer on this movie, but he had—he was going to be the director of this project. And this is based off a book. And the book, as Antoine Fuqua says, was and his vision. It was supposed to be a serious, like basically a serious diehard, a serious diehard movie on a train, on a boat. That's train. what I was anticipating. Yeah. So that when you hear that, it's like, oh, John Wick, Atomic Blonde, David Leach. 
so him coming on doesn't really change anything to me. It's like, okay, Antoine Fuqua, he just did infinite with Mark Wahlberg, which was a total failure. The guilty was okay. But David Leach now, who's on the rise, right? Not like at his peak, taking on this project. Oh, so I'm thinking Deadpool 2. I'm thinking John Wick. I'm thinking Atomic Blonde. And I'm thinking, oh, like, I think I'm just falling like a kind of a, what do you call it? I'm like, I think we live in a society where I'm expecting John Wick now because we have John Wick. Or yeah. I'm expecting Deadpool because we have Deadpool. And we just can't have those expectations anymore. And especially with like the lead character of this movie, one Brad Pitt, I was, I didn't think he was bad in it, but I just felt like he could have done more. Like you could have given him more to do because like you were anticipating like a John Wick style movie with David Leach at the helm, right? You think, uh, well, in Deadpool 2, like obviously he has a strong relationship with Brad Pitt. He makes the cameo there. He was his stunt double for a long time. But I just, I didn't like how Brad Pitt really. It, it seemed like he didn't do any training for it. It just seemed like he just stepped in and said, I'll do this movie. Uh, I'll do a couple quick actions with my hands. I'm not going to the point like a Hiroyuki Sonata who like with the sword or anything like that. I'm not going to like work too hard at like training for this or hand-to-hand combat. He really just seemed like an average Joe. I guess that might've been the point of the character, but like when you're going to see this movie and you're seeing the trailer and the combat that's going on, I kind of expected a little more from Brad Pitt. Like I want to see him get in shape and just like take on a bunch of assassins. And to me, like, that's what I was looking forward to. Did that ever cross your mind? Yeah. That I wanted him to be John Wick. I wanted him yeah. to be Charlie's Throne and Atomic Blonde, but instead, like I understand uh, why he was cast in this, not only because of the David Leach aspect and the connection, like I mentioned before, but it's also since his Oscar win, he's been doing another pivot. And like, we've talked about pivots before um, and like, pivots before and actors and actresses in their careers and brad pitt will talk about it he's had plenty of pivots we talked about tom cruise's pivots and all these other people it's like ever since his oscar it's like now he's like so focused on similar to chris hemsworth and thor using his charm there and thor completely revamping that character brad pitt seems to be doing that now in his career post oscar win he was in the lost city where he was jack trainer and his dad's a weatherman. He was had his good looks, and now he's in this movie, right? Just using his charm and good looks a bit, and just trying to be funny, his funny self, because that's who he is in real life. So it's interesting that he's taking this spin so far, and this pivot is just so far. Like I, I do think it's successful. It's just, I guess, like you said, like I wanted to see him be that John Wick, like Keanu Reeves. Yeah, maybe it's like the follow up to the Oscar thing where it's like, okay, I just want to ingratiate myself, ingratiate myself again with the mainstream like, and just uh, stay popular and just so I can keep making movies and like kind of ride this high. Like it could be that. But then again, like the movie you want an Oscar for is a Tarantino movie. It's like there's nothing more mainstream aside from superhero movies than a Tarantino movie, you know? Like, like he was Anthony Fauci on SNL, right? He did the fast. Forgot time. about that. Yeah. And like he's done the fast times at Richmond High screen uh, reading with his ex-wife, Jennifer Aniston. Like he's been in the limelight for these type of things, like being funny and like, you know, just his personality. It's like, he's translating that to the screen now. Yeah. Which is different for him. Yeah. We're definitely going to dive into the range that he's shown throughout his career, because honestly it's a bit underrated and he just kind of looked at as the cool guy. If you want to talk to the stereotype of Brad Pitt playing the cool guy, you might, this movie like pretty much makes your case to be honest. Like he didn't have to come in and do any high level combat. He just had to like be the smooth, cool dressed, not even smooth, just a cool dressed dude 
right? Who's had talks with the modern day slang and things like that and just be able to bounce off characters. Similar to like an Ocean's Eleven almost with his like Rusty Cole, Rusty, um, oh, just Rusty. I don't, can't think of the last name right now. Uh, I do want to say the member of the cast that was in like the wrong movie and like just shouldn't have been there is Michael Shannon. Man, was he bad. Like I, I, I'm a Michael Shannon fan, but like I, I honestly despised him in this movie. The Russian accent was so brutal. I thought like we have, I think Aaron Taylor Johnson, he's American, isn't he? No, he's English. He's English. Brian Tyree Henry is not English, right? I think he's English too. Really? Because I was going to say, I was going to say both of their accents I thought were pretty on point. Michael Shannon's was god awful. Like, I never want to see him yeah. play a Russian like that again. <laughs> like, to me, I was just like, get him off the screen. Uh, they could, maybe they could have put hired someone different in that scenario, especially someone. I can't see Michael Shannon wielding a sword like that. But just to me, it's like, okay, we're taking it too far. We're going for just the name here. All right, Tyree Henry, that was a stupid comment. He's in Atlanta. He's American. He's an American actor. Well, it's not but, stupid because you don't know if he's putting on an American accent for Atlanta either, you know? But, like, I just true. kind of assumed he was. Maybe I shouldn't have assumed. That's, that sounds kind of wrong. But I liked him in this. I liked their accents. I thought they killed it. As I said, the weak parts for me, Michael Shannon, Joey King, annoying. Right? And everybody else was serviceable. Maybe I would have liked a little bit of Hiroyuki Sonata. And he came so late in the damn movie. That, so yeah, they that storyline itself, again, was talking about overstuffed and also didn't match everything else going on. That I was the go, opening scene of the yes, movie. I was crazy. Like, and like it's like everything else going on, it's like such a joke. And then you have this serious actor, Hiroki Sonata, and the serious like kid about the grandson about to die, the serious effect, and then the revenge plot. But then you have Brad Pitt, Brian Tyree Henry, Joe, like everyone else, like just cracking jokes nonstop. Yeah. which I just found so interesting. And I also think not to Michael Shannon as in not working. I think it did work just like, or not uh, compared to Michael Shannon as in Michael Shannon wasn't very good. Respect to Michael Shannon, great actor. Um, just not in this. I think Hiroki Sonata was good in this, but I just don't think it overall like complemented everything else going on and all the different stories. It didn't match the tone. Like it was like, very I felt weird. Like- Felt like I was watching like Squid Game at the beginning. You know, I was just like it was so serious. And then all of a sudden, I'm watching Brad Pitt's character named Ladybug doesn't take a gun, and then it goes all mayhem from there. Uh, another beef I had with the movie, like once again, I know I'm pointing out some flaws right now. Overall, enjoyed it, but the writing they tried to be so clever with this movie, and it's like, but wait, here, there's something else happening. Wait. Oh my god, wait, the movie has 20 more minutes, and I'm like, like they try to be like almost like a who done it type of like feel to it along with this yes. like deadpool 2 and this like serious like foreign film aspect to it too that's how it's underlying with these subplots to me i was just like what like this has to end and then when you bring in the cameos and stuff like that to make it more fun i get it and we'll talk about that in a second but i just thought there was too many moments where whoever wrote this movie was saying was trying to like flip the audience on its head when it didn't need to like audiences are there to accept the fact after seeing this trailer it's going to be a funky it's going to be a lot of like like violence and gore to it and instead like you're trying to pull like a knives out on us when really we didn't care for it i literally wrote in my notes and i think just michael shannon being in the movie made it made me think of this is that this should be knives out three knives out three where there's a murder on a train similar to murder on the orient express and i'm just yeah. like jesus christ like this should have been a whodunit and not even focus on the assassins thing or we go all in on the assassins and just have brad pitt or John Wick 5, uh, John Wick 5, he's on a train. He has to defeat all these assassins on a train. Like, I think they should have just 
gone completely on either side of the spectrum and not in the middle trying to do both. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it was a little bit imbalanced for sure. But I think that also like pays tribute to like the length of the movie. They shorten it up a little bit, cut out some of like, like there's some characters I wanted to know more about. And the ones I knew a lot about, I didn't care to know (laughs) like Joey King's character. I didn't really care about her character. Right. Although like obviously plays an important role, obviously with Michael Shannon and like the father's daughter relationship. And, but I was more interested, like Hiroyuki Sonata, when he came on screen, I'm like, okay, this is kind of legit. And I, 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 like, I, when he brings on the samurai sword, I'm like, this is what I'm here for. This is what we're looking for. Uh, and I don't know, Logan Lerman character, I would like to know him a little bit more. Obviously, that kind of gives away some parts of the story. But I don't know, just like some parts of it, I could use less of. Other parts, I could use more. It just seemed a little imbalanced to me. Um, cameos. This was this also gave the Deadpool 2 feel like Brad Pitt playing right the invisible dude right in Deadpool 2. Here we have Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, the vanisher. I was like the invisible dude. Ryan Reynolds shows up like during like the very climax of this movie, right? With the big reveal that he is the agent that Brad Pitt is filling in for. We also have Channing Tatum again, Captain Cameo himself, shows up on this train in another hilarious sequence. Uh, what do you think of the cameos here? Is Channing Tatum being too typecast as a cameo? So I, I remember talking about this, I think, in our like draft of best movies so far in 2022 and my honorable mention of The Lost City. So Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock both told each other, like, let's be in each other's movies. So that's why Brad Pitt was in The Lost City, and that's why Sandra Bullock was in this movie. Makes sense. The Channing Tatum was the one cameo I didn't see coming. I did not see Channing Tatum coming in this movie. It felt inevitable all. that Ryan Reynolds was going to be in this movie. Yes, but Channing Tatum. I, I was expecting a Ryan Reynolds cameo. And I, I didn't necessarily think it was Carver, but it made sense because I was waiting for Carver to show up because I knew Carver was going to show up at some point. Because I, another thing with this movie is that they were trying to be so clever, but you knew everything coming. Yeah. You really knew everything that was going to happen. It's just like, when was it going to happen? Because this movie was so goddamn long. But the Channing Tatum thing, I was I was like, what? Like, I was very shocked. I'm nervous that he is being typecast as a cameo. I'm hoping Lost it's so City. so weird. I, I am nervous, but I think I'm hoping Lost City. And I think he was just cast in another thing. And Magic Mike, the next Magic Mike's coming out. I think he will get back to co- going like being in roles again. We talked about how he took a break because of Gambit. I think he will come back into the circuit again. But yes, that was crazy. The connection of cameos between like these actors are kind of insane. Like Brad Pitt, Lost City, if you want to call it a cameo, it's like very much a tertiary character, mm-hmm. right? And then Reynolds Excellent. Reynolds here, right? And Tatum, free guy that Reynolds stars in. Tatum David is a Leach, cameo Deadpool. there. Yeah, Deadpool, The Vanisher, Brad Pitt. It's, just, it's like a nonstop cycle of cameos where like these surprises are no longer surprises. It's almost expected if you're going to have a huge blockbuster, non-superhero related, you're either going to have Brad Pitt in a cameo, Channing Tatum, or uh, Ryan Reynolds, right? It's like one of those three guys that are going to be in there. <laughs> All right. Well, what's your score for Bullet Train? Then we'll get to the Brad Pitt draft. 66 out of 100. Okay. I, I, get, I get 73. 73 out of 100. Uh, 66 from Ricky Flex, 73 from Dr. O. That's going to do it for the Bullet Train uh, review. Make sure to check it out in theaters so if you haven't seen it yet. And uh, sorry if we spoiled it for you. <laughs> Make sure you, if, you, if you're joining us right now for the draft, right? Smart men, smart woman. Let's get to it. So Brad Pitt rolls draft, Ricky Flex. We're going to go snake style, one, for, uh, one after the other. Uh, any questions before we get going? 
so yeah, this is performances, roles. Uh, I think, yeah, that's, I think it's pretty simple. I can't really think of any questions. Yeah, no, like, uh, no producing credits because he's like gone on to produce some great films too. That does not mm. count. It's got to be one that he is a star in or supporting character in. All right, the Brad Pitt rolls draft has begun. Ricky Flex and Doctor O here. We got to decide the draft order. Ricky Flex, do you have a coin? Uh, just in case you didn't, I have one too. Oh, do you want to flip it? No, I always flip, flip it. it. Oh, okay. You always flip it. Tails. It is heads. No, I, dude, you've been on a roll with these. I have been a draft in a minute, but I will say you've been on a roll. If we date back, if I look back at the archives, you've won. I think like the last three or four. Not gonna. I was on a huge, huge spell of like I was down bad in picking like where I wanted the draft, and then I've just absolutely gone on a heater since. Like, yeah, you had the yips before. (laughs) Yes, I don't know what was uh, what was I doing wrong with the flip, but. Okay. I'm going to go first. Dang, I wanted to go first. You're okay, Ricky I Flex. Think you're I'm on not going to pick what your number one is, though. I think you are. Ah, I don't know. think I am. Now, this isn't my favorite Brad Pitt movie that I'm about to pick, but this is what I would like. If I had the first pick, this is, I want this on my board. I want this on the graphic. I'm going Fight Club, Tyler Durden. I just think it's so iconic. The fur coat as well. I think this is where Brad Pitt officially 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 made the turn as in he is the if not the one of the biggest stars in the world and i think yes i don't want to spoil any of the movies he already made that turn from heartthrob to like oscar nominated actor and a good actor getting with acclaimed directors right this is his second instance with david fincher but i think this is the role where it's like okay brad pitt like it's like Tom Cruise. Like Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt. I think this is the role that did it for him. Yeah, this would have been my number one overall. I think this is like almost because obviously he won an Oscar for a different role. And he's such a beloved actor. But I agree with you. This one shot him into a different stratosphere. The look, how ripped he is. Every dude wanted to look like Tyler Durden. Yes. If you saw Fight Club, right? If you saw him reciting the rules with a shirt off in front of everybody, like this is the coolest dude alive. And not only is the coolest dude alive, but he's anti-establishment, right? He's a rebel and he's anti-capitalism. And he this is a role that has depth to it. And I like if you look at his other roles, I, like I'm not gonna list them right now. The depth of them, I think, are minuscule. He's not usually the lead in a lot of different movies. Here he's kind of sharing the lead with Edward Norton. Uh mm. definitely just ultimate cool guy. And this is the one where it's like he's I think he just was like the number one star in the world. Like everyone wanted to be Brad Pitt after this movie for the foreseeable future. And this is where, yeah, you went from, he was our, yeah, you're right. Like 80s felt like, I'm not going to know teasing, but like heartthrob in the late 80s, early 90s. And then he gets into some serious work and you get a gritty movie that's kind of misunderstood with Fight Club. And I think it's aged so well too compared to mm-hmm. his other roles. Yes, completely agree. All right. Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden, Fight Club number one pick. It's on to me. Uh, so my first round pick is going to be Billy Bean Moneyball. That's going to be one where I thought Brad, Brad Pitt, judging by like the people he was going against for the Oscar, actually should have won. That was the year of the artist, I believe, uh, where the lead for the artist won. Depardieu, what was his name? Oh yeah, you got him. Sort of. Uh, so yeah, uh, Moneyball, I, I would have, first of all, he's like not 
traditional in terms of how he, obviously it's the whole point of the movie, not traditional the way you analyze baseball. Also brought the cool guy factor because Billy Bean kind of was the cool kid, the new guy on the block that brought new ideas. Chemistry great with Jonah Hill. Um, I love the chemistry that he has with his daughter, the relationship they formed throughout. Lovely singing voice from his daughter in this movie. But yeah, I'm going to go Moneyball as the next pick. One of the, I guess, unexpectedly great sports movies for having such a lame type of sabermetric topic and subject with it, with like the, the science and the mathematics when it comes to baseball. And it's kind of like the opposite of baseball movies that we've seen when you think about uh, Bull Durham and Field of Dreams, the romanticism of the sport. This one's more into the science of it, but also it's cool just by the fact that you have Brad Pitt in the main in the lead role. So it's like a spin on like like common baseball movies, and also has that prestige factor to it. Give me Billy Bean, first rounder. Yeah, I think that even though you said and I agree with you, he's still kind of the cool guy. I think this might be his best overall work in a movie. So good. I did think about this at number one just because of that factor, but I went for the iconic role. I went for the role I think just changed him in Hollywood forever. I and I yeah, that's that's why I picked Tyler Durden, but this was definitely in my mind for number one. Okay. So we have our first round picks. Uh on to the second round. I'm leading off snake style. I will be taking I'm gonna take this from you. I'm sorry. I'm going to do Cliff Booth once upon a time in Hollywood. So this is the one he wins the Oscar for. I'm still adamant. I think there's a lot of these movies, a commonality is that Brad Pitt isn't necessarily the best actor in the movie, right? In terms of performance given in the movie, but at the same time, he's surrounded by excellent casts and he's, uh, and the, the films that he's making are so good. Like I would argue Leo is better than and Rick Dalton is better than Cliff Booth. That's a take I've had for a long time, even though Leo didn't get the Oscar for it and Brad Pitt did. I feel like this was kind of a culmination of all of Brad Pitt's work. And it's also, we talk about the coolest dude in Hollywood playing one of the coolest dudes in old Hollywood, you know, and also mysteriousness to him too. Uh, one of the most satisfactory roles when you look at Brad Pitt, he's been in some dark movies, but this one, when you, at the end of this Tarantino movie, you're like, damn, like, I just want to see Cliff Booth on the screen more and more and more. You know, even though he just finds himself in these peculiar situations, they seem so calm, cool, and collected, and he's able to handle anything that's thrown at him. Give me Cliff Booth to begin in the second round. Yeah. So every year, usually on my like around our birthdays, since we have summer birthdays, there's usually a great movie that weekend, right? This weekend for you, tough. I think Beast is like the only thing out coming out this weekend for me. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood back in 2019 came out my birthday weekend. Very excited to see that with you. We went and saw it. Okay. We love the movie. We walk out of the theater. What was like the first thing? I forget. Either you or me said, I think we might have both said it. We said, Brad Pitt's going to win an Oscar for this role. Like mm -hmm. you just knew right after you saw it, like, holy crap, he was just different. And like, even though he was like the same cool guy, you just knew like, yep, that's the Oscar. And that was in the summer. It wasn't even Oscar season yet. But we knew like there's just, that's going to be so hard to beat. So that would have been my next pick. We have the same top three, Fight Club, Moneyball, Once Upon a Time. Was it that I'm, order for you too? For me, that was my order. I'm okay. shocked because um, my next two picks, I thought were going to be your uh, one of your top, like both in your top three. So I'm a little shocked. Um, but my next pick, I'm going to go in Glorious Bastards, Aldo, Lieutenant Aldo Rain, just because mm -hmm. I think a big thing with Brad Pitt and similar to Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise did it a little before him, 
is that, yes, he was that heartthrob, known for his good looks, the cool guy. But he has done, and I mentioned this also in the bullet train review, he's done so many pivots in his career trying not to just be the cool guy, trying to make a well-rounded resume and be one of the greats. And I think I've fallen victim to it in the past. I know Steve-O, a guest on this podcast, has, has as well, where you just assume he's always the cool guy in the movie. And yes, he might be the coolest guy in the movie, but he's not the cool guy, if you know what I'm saying, as the character. I would say Fastbender is kind of the cool guy in Glorious Bastards, to be honest. And like, that's such a huge ensemble too. Like, it's hard to say, like, because like it the uh, the concept of the movie is also very cool for a war movie. Mm-hmm. It, it, I would also say Brad Pitt. A lot of his movies, not only the cool guy, but he's also one of the smartest dudes. And here he comes off like such an idiot. And I think his comedic timing is great in Glorious Bastards. Uh, right. I like this pick. I did. I didn't have it till later. I had this. At six, I had Aldo Rain at six, but I like the pick. You can't go wrong if you take a back-to-back Tarantino movies, and uh, hopefully he shows up in Tarantino's final film. Yes, so Inglourious Bastards was my fifth, but just because of the Tarantino aspect, that's just good podcasting. And then my next pick will be seven. Has nice. to be Mills. I, I I just can't let this slide to you. I thought for sure it wasn't getting back to me. Mills, I think this is the one where, yes, he, again, like I think this actually came out before, like the same year as the other movie is Oscar, his first Oscar nom. But for me, this is like the one where, like, yep, this guy is just on a different level. True ensemble cast where he's the one of, if not the lead, co lead. And like, what's in the box? Like, what's in the box? You can't beat that. He's in so many iconic moments through his career. You think about like, and like the lines he said, what's in the box or like, the, what's the one rule about fight club? You can go on and on. And like the moments, the stills that you have and the range of emotion that he shows in seven is pretty insane. Uh, he's high octane. He's great when he goes against a sub- more subdued Somerset in uh, a Morgan Freeman. And it's painful to watch that final scene. And partly it's not just by like the torture of the idea and the concept of it, but to watch brad pitt and like the pain and like the tears that he's flowing down his face as he blows kevin spacey away at the end spoiler alert i think this was my next pick 100 percent. you know how much i love this movie i gotta watch it tonight just because every time we talk about seven i'm tempted to just watch it you know i i just have to so great pick dark gritty brad pitt love it all right next pick this is interesting i think where i'm going next I'm going with a movie I saw for the first time, uh, I want to say a week ago. I rented it. I was blown away by this movie. I texted you while I was watching it, Ricky Flex, doing research for this draft. I'm like, how did I not? I've heard so much about this movie. It's mid, it's late 2000s, and it's kind of hidden, and it doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, I'm going with The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford and the role of Jesse James. Jesse James is kind of an iconic cowboy throughout the history of film. I think Brad Pitt here, once again, he's kind of like people are afraid of him, but also people respect him at the same time. Goes through that range of emotions. Also, is like that type of like villain or he's type that type of anti-hero at the end of his run looking to make amends. And it's great to dive into that relationship between him and Casey Affleck in this movie. When I was watching this movie, it also felt a little bit like the power of the dog in a lot of different ways. Uh, obviously, it takes a different approach at the end with those two characters, but the fascination between the two, uh, I'm just going with this one. He was kind of unpredictable in this movie, too. He will let it rip in some scenes. Other ones, he's subdued, reflecting on his life. 
I love this movie a lot. And this is yet another example. He's probably not the best performance here. Casey Affleck was on another level here. But uh, Brad Pitt, very close second. I'm giving Jesse James my third round pick. So I also, this is one of the ones I watched for the first time this week doing research for this draft. I didn't particularly like the movie. Really? Oh, dude, that movie is good. Maybe I got to watch it again and revisit it. I've only seen it once. Casey Affleck pisses me off just by his voice. Just annoying. Not simple. Good. But yeah, just uh, really. And I think the last act, tough, in my opinion. Very tough. A lot of movement parts going on. I it's, will it's say. too long. It's too long. Way too long. I think I will say it is beautiful. It is a beautiful movie. Roger Deacons. Deacons. Roger, exactly. Like him combined with Brad Pitt. Like that's crazy. That's like Gosling and, and Deacons and Blade Runner 2049. Just like a perfect combination. Like. And I do think the best parts of this movie, I think for me, really the only good parts is when Brad Pitt's on the screen because he is wow. great. I think that for me, it's not in my top 10 because I just don't like the movie whatsoever. I, sh- I shouldn't say whatsoever. I really just don't like it. So it wasn't in my top 10. But to be honest, like with an, any other movie podcaster, this is in the top 10. And he, like Jesse James, he he looms over the movie. You feel his presence as long yes. as he's alive when he's not on the screen. But you're right. You're just hankering for that next moment when Jesse interacts with these characters. And like these guys are double crossing him. Does he actually know? Is he messing with them mentally? Like there's like a mind game that goes with this role. And uh, I think he like I, I, I think he's just fully aware of his power in that movie. hundred percent like Casey Affleck. It, he does best when he's going against because he has such a fascination with him at the beginning of the movie. But he's like, "Why am I rooting for this guy? Why do I like this guy? Maybe I hate this guy." Like, like the the inner turmoil of Affleck's character, and then just the assuredness of Jesse James. I thought that combination worked so well. But when he dies at the end, and they give like another thirty minutes to the movie, it's just like, okay, now we're getting to the point we don't care about. But it kind of shows a downfall of someone who wants to be well-known, although he does arguably a heroic thing in killing like an outlaw like Jesse James, right? People don't perceive you the way that you think they, they you think that they're going to like fame. Isn't everything that it's pent, pent up to be. Uh, I just, I do like that movie a lot, right? I'll revisit it though. It's not on streaming a lot. I don't believe I had to rent it. Mm, yeah. All right. Jesse James. Number, third round pick onto the fourth where I lead off. This is where we get interesting, Ricky Flex. I'm going – there's one movie I know you're not going to pick, and I'm saving it for my last pick. You sure? I'm going to go Ocean's Eleven, Rusty Ryan. This is the member of Ocean, the Ocean's gang that – well, just like uh, him and Clooney, they play off well with one another, right? They bounce right back and forth. You feel like they were just they're just the coolest dudes have ever lived, and you feel like the conversations they have – are like cool guy conversations. Like they're speaking in code. They can only say a couple words and they have an understanding of what each other is going to say. Uh, this is maybe, I, I would say like I would watch a spinoff of Rusty Ryan from Ocean's Eleven. Like some of these scenes at Ocean's, like when he's like, whether, I don't even know. Like it was Clooney playing poker at the beginning, right? Or was that Rusty? Or Rusty's like running the overall game? Yes. Yes, I believe so. Uh I just the fact this is like cool guy Pitt when he is at the peak of Hollywood, like 2001. Like we mentioned some movies. I'll just go with like Fight Club is a couple of years before that. Uh, what else would we pick? So I could talk about seven was a few years before that. But he's in full star power mode and he is kind of like the biggest star in that cast. 
I would say. And he's enjoyable to return to. You got two other sequels that go along with it. Those ocean movies don't run without Rusty Ryan, so he's going to be the beginning of the fourth round. Yeah, this you saved me a burden because I'm I was debating between four movies. I narrowed it down to three before you picked that one, and then you just narrowed my last two down for me. So I appreciate it. I would have picked this as well. I decided I would have because, like we've been talking about, Brad Pitt is the quintessential cool guy. And what's the role where he's the quintessential cool guy? That's in that's Rusty in Ocean's Eleven. Next, I will make an argument for another one, potentially honorable mentions. I think that's why I was like, when you made your comment, you think, am I not going to pick this movie? You are right. I think I know which movie you're thinking of. I I was thinking about it, but I'm not going to. So I'll just get to it. I want this before my, I want this as number four, specifically. I'm going Jeffrey Goins, 12 Monkeys. Okay. His first Oscar nom. This was the movie in 1995. Yes, he had seven come out this year, but he got Oscar nom in this in 1995. We talked about it before. Seven, historically, only one nominated Oscar for best editing, I believe. Nothing else. 12 Monkeys. Great movie. Honestly, a psychological thrower that's forgotten I thought, a lot in this day and age. Bruce Willis starring. Um, a huge cast as well. I'll get into it. But Jeffrey Goins, that was when Brad Pitt for sure did not rely on his looks. That was the first time because I don't I actually I won't mention any of the other previous movies, but for all the movies he did before that, like he was literally always good looking. Like yeah. a man rocket, heartthrob. And this was the first time where he's in an insane asylum. His he's eyes spazzing are, out. He's twitching, you know? spaz, eyes just moving around all the time and just coming at you. Like the screen is just his <laughs> face just coming at you. And he has, oh God, he, he is amazing in that movie. I will say he did not win. I, to me, I won't say he deserved to win best act, uh, best supporting actor because the big KS and usual suspects did win that year. Yeah. You can't beat that even though it's the big KS. Um, but at the end of the day, I think this deserves to be drafted. Jeffrey Goins, 12 Monkeys. I agree with the fact that you just said that like, this is the first role that like he takes on that he's not relying on the fact that he looks like the best dude in the world. Like, you know, it's just like the guy, the, the dude that everyone wants to look like. He is spazzing out. He's erratic. He's flinching his eyes left and right. He's like changing the octaves of his voice. He's totally going for it. Right, you could even argue he's like overdoing it for a lot of it, to be honest. But great pick. I wasn't gonna pick this in the top ten, like just because I'm not a huge fan of Twelve Monkeys. Um, I don't understand a lot of it, to be honest. Like I get, I get lost in the sauce when I'm watching it. I forget which which timeline we're on and stuff like that. It's a very, it, it could be a very confusing movie for the audience. But your takeaway after you see it is like, wow, like. Brad Pitt went nuts in that movie. Like he really went for it. That's literally your takeaway after watching it. So especially for like a simple-minded dude like me. Uh, good pick on the fifth round. Okay. So before yesterday, there would have been a clear pick here for me. And I think it's your next pick. And I'm not doing it because I rewatched another movie yesterday. I had the time. And I historically on this podcast as well used to hate this movie. But oh yesterday, I have done a complete turn. I have done a complete turn on The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Movie's amazing. It is an amazing movie. It's an amazing movie. I journey. am shocked how good it was. This is like my second full time watching it. I was a lot younger. I will say the first time I completely watched it. Other times I just went from scene to scene, like classic like cable movie where like I go in for 10 minutes and change the channel. 
I watched the whole thing front to back, no interruptions. Holy crap, I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away. And yes, we don't see a full-blown Brad Pitt, like good-looking Brad Pitt, until like an hour 15 into the movie. But when he's on that motorcycle, in the so cool. <laughs> when he's in Paris, when he's finally with Kate Blanchett, like holy crap, he was amazing in this. And I can't say he should have won because I will have to revisit Milk. Sean Penn won this year for Milk. But it's tough looking at that movie and him not getting an Oscar recognition for that. He was amazing. Even with poor CGI, like I mentioned before, referred to before, poor CGI, 2008, they did the best they could, but aged didn't age properly now. But holy crap, Brad Pitt and the Curious Case Bedroom, my boy David Fincher, unreal. Man, I, I thought I was going to get this with the last pick. This movie, I've been saying – for quite a while now it gets a lot of hate based on like the cgi the look of the character dude this movie came out in 2008 like what are you expecting it's like a high it's like a, the concept of the movie it's kind of hard to achieve if you don't have this de-aging technology and things like that it was way ahead of its time it looks not very good hasn't aged well but most cgi as you said before hasn't aged well also the length of the movie yeah i get it like it's a long movie but like I trust David Fincher, and I'm I'm enthralled with that movie. Also, an amazingly shot movie. When you go through like the the global aspect of that movie, whether he's like as you talked about in France, him on the bike. There's just so many great shots from that movie, and uh, the relationships that he creates. And he uh, is it Kate Blanchett, like the Kate Blanchett's the main Daisy. Yep. And then Tilda Swinton, the woman that cr- swims across the English Channel. That I I will say. Uh, that was actually decent, but not as nearly as good as the other parts of the movie. The Navy part, eh, that seemed it, eh. It's emotional else, too, dude. That movie I almost cried five times though. in the final act. I literally yeah. almost had to get up and like leave the room like while the movie was playing. But you know, like, like cause sometimes I just it, can't watch something. I literally almost like went down and cried. I, I the it moment was insane. When he visits, like when he becomes a teenager, is that is that that was with Kate Blanchett at the end? Yes. So yeah, so he is like standing at really like like that shot where he's in the doorway and you don't see his face and you're the and you're just like you. I feel like I'm gonna cry just talking about it. like when she's he's like he left her after like those years. He comes back, he's a teenager. Son is like hitting and it's like fading away as you close in on like the character and like zooming on his face. You're like, oh my god. Yeah, and she and, re- and she recognizes who he is. I think she's with her husband or something. Yes, isn't that right? husband yeah. and daughter. Oh, yeah, and that I'll, was I'll see that for a spoiler. But another thing I was going to – two other things I was going to say. Heartbreaking story. One is uh, the CGI with Brad Pitt. Now, when he's an old man, they just, like, accept it because the first hour, 15 minutes of this movie is him as an old man. So you just can't hide that. But when he's a teenager, they can hide it because it's only, like, 15 minutes. So they keep it in darker rooms. And that was clear to hide the CGI effect of a younger Brad Pitt. Um, So that made complete sense. And the only other thing I was going to say is that – when he's a kid and he has dementia and I, I and Kate Blanchett's like visiting him. I'm just like, holy crap. Like I'm going to lose it. It's like, it was, it was literally the closest time I've ever been about to cry, but didn't, I could like feel my eyes like quiver. I'm like, holy crap. I'm about to just bust out tears right now. It was insane. Incredible movie. I am shocked on the turn. It's like, if I rewatch avatar, it's really that the same effect is because everyone knows listeners, you know, I hate, I don't hate Avatar. I just don't think it's very good. It's like if I just watched, rewatched Avatar today and said, that movie's amazing. Literally the same exact fact. That's why Dr. O, he knows 
how crazy of a turn this is for me. Yeah. Benjamin Button, final pick. I remember watching it was like two years ago or a year ago. And I was just like, man, like this movie, like this is like some of the best acting I've ever seen too. It's like, it's, it's, there's not a ton of action in the movie unless you go out to sea when he's serving in the, in the, in the Navy and things like that. That's where you're going to get your action, but like slow pace. But if you enjoy like just good acting and like, like emotional storytelling, you're going to love that David Fincher movie. And it's kind of like off the beaten path for Fincher. It's not, uh, it looks like it's on the same grade, like in terms of how it looks on screen, but it's just way more emotional than any of his movies. It's nuts. Great pick. I can't, I can't believe you got Eric that Roth's story and screenplay. Eric Roth, Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy, producers. All right. Makes sense. So now it's on to me. Mr. Irrelevant. And I think I want to go with one. It's not the best movie. It is a long epic uh, period piece, I guess you could call it. Not exactly factually correct with a lot of the history that goes with this movie. I'm going with Troy. I'm going with him as Achilles. Right? And uh, obviously you would assume a tragic ending for that character. But this is also like a three-hour film. And there are just like obviously Eric Bana does a service, serviceable job as Hector. Orlando Bloom probably wants to forget this movie happened based on his performance and who he was playing. But I got to go with one of the coolest warriors that we've ever seen on screen. One of the best opening scenes to a movie that I've ever seen when Achilles jumps behind the dude and throws a spear behind his leg. Like physicalness of that role, the physicality, I should say, probably the best that Brad Pitt's ever done alongside Fight Club. It was to me, it was like a movie that if it's made today, it's not gonna do numbers like it did back in the mid 2000s, 2004 with Troy. And he's easily the best part of this movie. And you know, he's bringing it. His delivery is great, right? Uh, why would they bring you out here just to see you fall? Like just the lines that he delivers here. I pulled up a bunch of quotes. I'll let you give your take off that. I just want to read some of these quotes because they are, if this movie was better overall and more widely accepted as good, people would be saying these like all the time when you're, whenever you're competing with your friends against something. I, I did it when I was in college. We were, I would just, I would say like, why would you if we would be during a party? I'd be like, why did you bring all these people just to come watch you fall? things like that it's very funny very funny what do you think of uh troy this movie's not like looking back when i first watched it as like a kid i'm like holy crap this movie's amazing like this is like an epic but like also it's an epic movie now it's like okay yeah not as good but still to this day i'm like holy crap brad pitt's amazing <laughs> achilles the look amazing like he's tanner like with the muscles the long hair the lines the alpha mentality I killed Hector. Like he is just an alpha in this movie. Unbelievable. Um, like, oh God, I love. He's this channeling movie. like I'm... his is a gladiator. He's like yes. literally like Russell Crowe. Like, is, is there a... no? He like beats him. Like kills Eric Bana. He's like, is there no one else? No one. Like he's just literally becoming right. uh, Russell Crowe in that moment. And it's interesting because this is in 2004. So like Ocean's Eleven was 2001. This is obviously post Gladiator. So they had to like. You know, it's a little different, obviously. So that you have any of Eric Bana who just played Hulk, right? A superhero. Like it's just that at the time I can't even imagine like the hype around this movie. It must have been enormous. And I'm just shocked that this is I, I am shocked because this was my number 10. Uh, I think. 
and my number nine is still on the board, and that's the one I thought you were picking this entire time. I, I'll, we'll get to the honorable mentions. I'm going to read through the draft picks, and then we'll get to it because I, I think we might be on the same page here. I actually made a slight adjustment. I had something at number nine, but I went with my 10, which was Troy. We'll, we'll talk about it. But uh, Ricky Flex has Tyler Durton, Fight Club. He's got Aldo Rain and Glorious Bastards. He's got David Mills, seven. He's got Jeffrey Goins, 12 Monkeys, and then finally Benjamin Button from The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Dr. O has Billy Bean from Moneyball, Cliff Booth from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jesse James from The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Mouthful of a title, probably one of the flaws of it. And then finally, Rusty Ryan from Ocean's Eleven. What is the one that you wanted to pick, Ricky Flex, that you or anticipate that I was going to? I thought you were going to snatch. Yeah, that was my nine. And I made a switch at the end because, like, I just can't. We talked about so much how cool Brad Pitt is. And there's no one been, there's no one from like Roman, uh, the Roman era that is looked as cool in a movie, probably as Brad Pitt. And that includes Russell Crowe and Gladiator. Agreed. Yeah. Definitely agree with that. Okay. I like but that. But Snatch is great. And like, that's a bit, it's like the thing is, you're really going to buy into it because, like, you can't understand a word he's saying. Kyrie and that's Chi. also a hugely physical role. And yeah, it was, it was, it was on there. It's a little greasy. He's a little, little greased up in that movie. It's, it's like, it's early on. Um, what's the director's name? Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie. Early Guy Ritchie. Jason Statham. It's, it's clearly, so it's the year after Fight Club, right? 2000. It's clearly like, oh, if Tyler Durden was a Northern English or Scotsman and like couldn't really speak clear English and also was real. Like that's kind of <laughs> what it was, but also he had a knockout punch. That like that's kind of what it was. So it's a kind of weird at the time, I bet. But looking back on it, that's just a fun watch, and I enjoy that thoroughly. Not a ton, not a ton of screen time, but when he's on screen, like you're glued. Those are the moments you're looking for. Like let's get Brad Pitt on screen again. You find that with a lot of his movies, almost every movie he's in, because he's so good and he's so like obviously appealing to audiences. I find myself watching Snatch. Like, I wish he was in more of this movie because he's the best part about it. Yeah. A, greasy, a greasier Tyler Durden. Longer hair. Right. Yeah. Gypsy. Um, I'll go through one that I have. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith was a phenomenon when we were growing up, dude. That was huge. We were ten, I was 10. You were 8 when that came out. That's a movie that would not succeed today. But that was literally the star power like in that movie and the surrounding drama behind it. That made yes. it a must-watch movie. Vince Vaughn, great a supporting role. Mr. And Mrs. Smith, I find that also as a rewatchable. Like I, I will like dive into that movie at whatever point it's in, especially when they first find out. Actually, no, the house scene the house. when they really go out it, they go at it, became an iconic moment from our childhood. And uh, yeah, so like Mr. And Mrs. Smith, I had there. What else you got? Yeah, that was my number eleven, just because I or twelve. That was that's because of how iconic that is. Um, Okay, this movie I know you probably don't have any on your list. I re I watched this for the first time last year. It is one of the most overrated movies of all time. I remember reading about how movie theaters had to put a sign saying you will not get refunded for this movie. And it's the tree of life. The movie's awful, in my opinion, as well. I agree. I think it's way too Terrence Malick tried way too hard, in my opinion. Um, and I would have picked it if the movie didn't suck because Brad Pitt in this movie is amazing. He's the only like part of this movie i'm like holy crap he's amazing he's tough to watch because how good he does as like a dad that's like kind of like that does physical assault a lot and he kind of takes his abuses his kids that yeah honest? yeah he abuses his kids out of rage that like he was supposed to be a musician but instead like he raised a family and didn't like go for his dreams so he works at like a power plant 
so like he kind of takes his rage out on his kids but he's amazing in it he's absolutely so- amazing nominated for an oscar um i think he was tremendous but i just couldn't pick it because i hate this movie i see this streaming a lot i'm not tempted to watch it at all based on what you told me about this movie the fact that people want refunds after watching it not because there's anything heinous about it it's just so like boring um Terrence Malick is a very interesting filmmaker. And what we know about Brad Pitt with his filmography, like he rarely unites with a director that doesn't have some prestige upon their name. And he frequently collaborates with those type of directors. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen it. I've only heard terrible things. This is actually one of the three movies that I thought might have been drafted that uh, I haven't seen with Brad Pitt. I've also, I've never seen Thelma and Louise. And oh, that, wow. So that's a that's breakthrough. Yeah. Right? So. I revisited a few movies for this draft. We mentioned Jesse James. I also revisited uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button I talked about. I revisited Sleepers. I revisited Sleepers. Uh, Robert De Niro, a huge cast there. Never seen it. Um, he's a, he, I thought like, oh, maybe if I revisit this, he's a lawyer in it. I'm like, okay, I'll revisit. Okay. Um, it's a, what's his name? Barry Levinson movie based off a true story, oh, nice. allegedly. There's some drama behind there. Um, I don't think Brad Pitt was very good in it, to be honest. Uh, didn't want to pick it. And then the fourth movie I revisited was Thelma and Louise. And I'd never seen it before either in its entirety. Brad Pitt low-key was really good in that. That like, was his breakthrough. Limited, That's right. Like, I was like, oh, my God, really this good. guy. Yeah. yeah. Like, again, like he probably looked like he – that's like complete heartthrob. Like 18 um, years old, bro. Yeah, like, he, he is, he's like, fresh. From, like, he's just new. It's insane how much of a heartthrob he is. Com- literally commanded the screen without trying. Like, literally did not try because he knew it wasn't a major character. But just because how good looking he is, what he was saying, his like tone of voice. Said, does he have a twang in there? Does he have an yes. accent? Yeah. The accent. It's unbelievable. And then I won't spoil anything with Brad Pitt uh, and his character, but it's very interesting the turn it takes. Very good role. Not not enough screen time to be picked here, but wow, I was very impressed by that too. Popular movie I also haven't seen that I thought was going to get drafted here is Cohen's Brothers uh, Burn After Reading. Uh, it's something I, to me, like I've just for some reason never been drawn to it, and I know it's like the moments that you think of with Burn After Reading is Brad Pitt with the, the red like spandex on, and you see him with the headphones like banging, snapping his fingers, and things like that. Uh, that's the only reason I've been like I've thought about watching it because oh, Brad Pitt's in this movie. I know I'm probably gonna like it and things like that. Coen Brothers, I like most of their movies, but for some reason I've just never gotten to it. Um, was that was that could I sniff your list at all? So I rewatched a lot of Coen's Brothers during the tragedy of Macbeth week here on this podcast last year. So mm-hmm. I watched this movie for the first time. Did not like this either. Did not like the movie. George Clooney, cringy in that, like as his character is, I mean. But Brad Pitt, again, him trying not to be Brad Pitt in this movie. Very goofy, very funny. The best part, in my opinion, in that movie. So if you picked it, I wouldn't have been upset but it would have been like that Terrence Malick tree of life situation where I didn't like the movie per se, but I liked the performance. He's a little dopey, right? Very, very, he's very dumb. Very. So dumb it's like movie. Aldo rain, but like also just is not like has no military skills. <laughs> no, he's just dumb. Like he's, he's dumb, dumb. Just like empty air. He's a trainer. He's a physical trainer that doesn't know anything. So, uh, the, yeah, maybe I'll check it out. I'm not really tempted to, maybe I'll just watch curious case of Benjamin button instead. But, the. Last two I had for honorable mentions. I'd add Astro. We saw that in theaters together. I thought Brad Pitt was great in that very slow movie. Um, interesting climax with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and the ship has a twist that you don't necessarily see coming. Right. To me, it kind of blew my mind, but 
I would you could argue it was a boring movie to be honest, but like the visually looked insane. Brad Pitt, solid, very stoic compared to most of his other roles. And then uh, Meet Joe Black, I had on here. I personally like this movie. I believe you kind of like it too. But oh, yeah. uh, and, and like Joe, like this one gets a bad rep. Also, like we find Brad Pitt in a lot of these movies that are criticized because they're entirely too long. Uh, but I don't know. I liked him in this movie. Um, he seems like he's so innocent throughout it. And it's also like the late 90s, 98, like also heartthrob stage right before Fight Club and things like that. I love this chemistry. I forgot what the actress's name is. She looks like Minnie Driver's sister. I don't know what her name is. But uh, him and Anthony Hopkins, I like how they interact. And he he speaks in a very specific way here. And uh, I think it actually worked really well in the movie. So Micho Black was the last one I got. I definitely understand people's hate towards this movie as in like critically. But this movie is so fun. And like the peanut butter, like he only eats peanut butter. And the car scene when he gets hit by the car, like this movie's just I it's rewatchable, dude. It is rewatchable. Yes, yeah. yeah, this is a classic. If it's on TV, you're like turn it on just for like to see a couple scenes. Like I do like this movie. Um, couple others I want just to note: Killing Them Softly, Killing Them Softly. I do enjoy it. It's Andrew Dominic. What's Andrew Dominic doing next? Blonde. Who's producing Blonde? Brad Pitt is one of the producers on Blonde. He has tight relationships with everyone that he works with. Yes, everybody. Yes, yeah, so he's producing um, the movie, yeah. Yeah, so and he's also doing another movie this year. He's doing She Said, the Carrie Mulligan, uh, and, the, and it's also interesting because of Weinstein, obviously with uh, his uh, prior connection with Weinstein, he's producing that movie. So it's very interesting as well. Um, and then the only other one I wanted to mention, and uh, I, I thought this would be interesting because I don't know if you've seen it, but this was right after the year after Thelma and Louise. And it's the first time he was like a co he was the main, he was like a main supporting role slash co-lead. And that's a river runs through it. He was Paul. He's the obnoxious or uh, rambunctious brother. He's very good in it. He I is feel very like good. Netflix is constantly, whenever I turn it on, it's screaming at me to see that movie. It's, it's a little like boring. Saying, to Dr. O, yeah. You need to watch this. You're doing the Brad Pitt draft. The river runs through it. You need to watch this. That led to the fall. <laughs> Legend of the fall. Um, but this one's like a little for me. I don't. I don't particularly love it, but I understand. It's like very well done. A little slow for me. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Tom Tom Selleck or Tom uh, Scarrett. Tom Scarrett. You know Ted. I guess Tom, Tom Scarrett. Yeah, he's <laughs> in this, he's like the dad. Um, but yeah, Brad Pitt, the troublemaker. Very good. Very good in that as well. All right. So that's gonna do it for our draft and the honorable mentions. Very fun draft. So I know me and Ricky Flex have been looking to do this for quite some time. I'm happy that we got to do it and talk about Bullet Train. That's going to do it for episode 135 of The Drive-In. Make sure you're following wherever you're listening right now. We're available on all listening platforms if you decide to switch. Uh, make sure if you're watching this on YouTube right now, make sure to hit the subscribe button. We want to build up those subscribers. And there's new content coming out every week. Make sure you're also following, following us on all social media platforms on Twitter and Instagram. At Twitter, we're at the Drive In Pod. At Instagram, we're at Drive In Pod. No, drop the the as one Justin Timberlake once said. Also, make sure if you're listening, if you're listening right now, uh, rate us five stars. Leave us a review. If you leave us a review, whether it's good or bad, right, make it entertaining, and we'll shout it out on the podcast. Thank you again to all the listeners for Doctor O and Ricky Flicks. Until next time, we will smell you.